That's a great song. That's, a friend of ours, a friend of Steve's and now mine wrote that, Dave Miller, What Do You Want From Me? That is really good. Um, and I like that. That's what we're talking about. What do you want, God? There's some kind of formula that I can follow, and if I follow this formula, wow, I'm there. I mean, I've been, I like formulas, as long as they don't involve X's and Y's, uh, or involve X and Y's. Um, I like little steps. I like going through a, a bookstore and get the how-to thing going on, you know? There's a lot of that, and it's pretty cool um, if it works. And it's, what's interesting is I don't care what we're talking about, whether we're talking about how to be pleasing to God or be the person God wants me to be, or whether we're talking about golf or tennis or, or husbands or wives or parenting or, or, or wine, there's a formula for everything. I, and this, this illustrates it very clearly. I want you to look at this very carefully. It gives us kind of a view of the whole formula thing. There's an inside story to that, by the way. I, I hate to even tell you, Steve, Steve, our creative arts director, picked that film clip. And um, the inside story is we were at a meeting some, some months ago in, in our office. And it was toward the late, not late, but fairly in the evening. And it was somebody had, I don't know what the deal was, but somebody had brought a bottle of wine. It doesn't normally happen in our meetings. I want you to know that. But somebody had been given this nice Chardonnay or something. And, and I was getting a little bored, and I said, well, let's just open the thing up. I mean, come on. And so I started just sort of tasting this, and I was, you know, I was nursing a glass for a while, and the meeting was getting more and more boring, and I wasn't drinking more wine. I was just sort of nursing this glass of wine. And, um, um, and I liked white, and I was just sort of, oh, that's okay. But then I got a little hungry, and I remembered that I had, some, because when you're on a diet, these sugar-free popsicles are wonderful. And I remember I had some popsicles in our freezer, and my favorite popsicle is a red popsicle. I don't care what flavor. If it's red, I like it. And uh, so it was a red popsicle, and I started eating my popsicle. It was, you know, listening to all the stuff going on in the meeting. And, and I just thought to myself, hmm, that's really good wine, and this is really a good popsicle. What would happen if I dropped my popsicle in my wine? And I did. And, I, and it was good, by the way. And, I, and it was really good. But I have not heard the end of that since. I have been called... Everything but a man, I've been called, uh, for, for, for doing that and how you never do that. So that was sort of a little stab at me. At the same time, it really is indicative of how we have these little formulas for determining everything from wine to ball teams to friends to business deals to what God wants from me. And the thing that interests me most and that gets me the most uh, passionate, really, is that whole thing about what God wants. Is there some kind of a formula that God wants? I mean, because, you know, and, and keep in mind this. Um, I, I have a long list here of things. I'm going to run through them very quickly. How to know, because I've heard, it, as I've said before, when people find out that I'm a minister, they, start, they say some of the weirdest things. So I've compiled a list, people that I don't know, who think I'm, you know, really ministerial or whatever, and, and, uh, which I'm not. But, but a lot of times they come with some, So I, I compiled this list of things, that, um, of things that to know when you're really, really spiritual. Okay? How to know when you're really, really spiritual. So I'm going to go through these. Some of them I'll comment on. Some of them I won't. We'll go through them fairly quickly, though. One, one way to know if you're really, 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 really spiritual is, is this. You watch the Pope's funeral on TV. Okay? You're pretty good. Doing pretty good. How about this one? You tailgated at a Billy Graham crusade. 
You're really godly. You are there. How about this one? You stole the Gideon Bible from, from the hotel. You say, boy, I really need this Bible. So you, you know, yeah, maybe that's spirit. How about this one? You stole the Book of Mormon in the last Marriott you stayed in. There's a good one. I, you know, truthfully, I used to know a guy who did that. He used to do that because he, he just he hated Mormonism. And every time he'd go into him, he'd, he'd purpose, he's a business guy, and, he, and he's kind of, a, kind, of a, kind of a crazy guy, as you can imagine. But he'd, he'd purposely stay in Marriott's, and he'd always take the, uh, take, he'd get the uh, Book of Mormon, and he'd take it, and, and I, I, I assume he'd put it in the trash can. I, don't, I, never, I don't know what he did with it, but he'd always steal the Book of Mormon. He thought he was spiritual. How about this? Shirley MacLaine is your favorite movie star. Um, misspelled, but you get the point. Um, how about this one? You prayed one time when you thought you were dying. I prayed one time all night long. I must really be spiritual. Yeah, you thought you were dying. How about that? You go to church every Christmas. Or, or you, put, you got the right rocks to put on your hurting knee. Then, then you're spiritual. Now, that may be over the head of some of you. But where I, where I, where I uh, have spent a lot of time in Colorado, one time I had twisted my knee or something slightly. And when we, were living, we lived there 17 years. And, and I knew these people, and they owned this uh, crystal store. And uh, she told me, you take this home and sleep with this on your knee. And this was when this whole thing was just becoming popular. And, um, you know, I didn't know what to say. I thought it was a joke at first. And then somebody that I was with said, don't say anything. And um, I didn't. So anyway, another way you know you're spiritual, you read your horoscope before making a major decision. Another way, your karma rules over your dogma. I mean, you you go with that karma instead of the dogma. You kind of get in with that. Um, how about this one? You read the Bible through once. I used to, I, no kidding. When we were first starting uh, another church that I was a part of, helping, helping the one in Colorado, um, a guy came to me after the service. He'd visited two or three times, and he was checking us out. And he says, how many times you read through the Bible? And I said, I don't know. He said, I've read through the Bible four times. I said, I'm happy for you, you know. And... Uh, he said, have you read through the Bible? And I said, you know, I think I have, but I might have left some of those verses in Leviticus and some of those, but I may have just fallen asleep during that. Anyway, that was his measure. That was his formula as to whether or not this church was worthy and whether this pastor was worthy. And I started to say, buddy, I got a lot bigger problems than that if you want to hear my issues, you know. But anyway, I didn't. Um, you know what's funny about those things? Funny in a weird way, not funny, haha. Um, is that sometimes those kinds of people, this is from my experience that I'm speaking from, 25 plus years in, in, in ministry, have such bigger issues. And, and that particular instance, that particular, I just thought about this, that particular man who just made such a big deal of how many times he read through the Bible, I would later on, a couple of years later, deal with abuse problems in that home by him. And I'm like, what do we miss here? Whenever we get into some of this formulaic stuff, we really do miss the point so many times. And that's, that's too bad. Uh, the last thing, and I got serious there for a moment, but I, 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 I thought about that. The last thing, and, and this isn't, you listen to Christian radio, therefore you're spiritual. Um, nothing, nothing wrong with that, of course, that's great, but... Um, that doesn't make any of us spiritual or holy or whatever. So let's just get some definitions here. What does it mean, spirituality? What does it mean? Big word today. A lot of people are spiritual. You, heard, you hear this a lot. I'm a spiritual person. Well, you are because we all have a spirit. They may not realize it, but you are. 
I'm like, the definition that I'm working, well, let me give you, John Wesley said this. John Wesley said spirituality is not, it's not as achieving, and he, he, he equated it to holiness. And he said that's not like achieving sinless perfection, but it's having one's heart fully fixed on God. I like that definition. One's heart fully fixed on God. The definition that I'm kind of working with, my words, it's just being the person God wants you to be. My spiritual person, well, I'm seeking to be the person that God wants me to be. That's, that's what I am. That's what I'm about. That's what you're about if you're a follower of Christ, I hope. So here's what I want to do. And I've got a lot to cover. And I want to try to do it in a way that's not going to bore you. And I want to try to do it in a way that's going to be timely. So let's, we're going to just blow through some of these things. First thing I want to do is go through, well, I have, there's, there's many more than this. I've, I've sort of limited them down to four basic popular formulas or shortcuts of quote-unquote spirituality. Some of you will relate to one or more of these in one way or another, but so just stick with me and we'll see what happens. The first formula or shortcut, a shortcut is also the same thing, where you're taking a shortcut to what being the person that God wants me to be. And I love shortcuts, I really do. Uh, I, I love shortcuts in everything from microwaves to, to, you know, two quick easy steps to fixing my golf swing or my, or my tennis swing. I want boom, I want it there, there. Doesn't usually work that way, hasn't worked that way for me yet, but I still like the whole concept. I love that concept. Three easy steps to being a great husband. I told Charlene one time, I said, I was, I went on, after my second trip to Russia and doing some things over there with this group that I worked with in D.C. after I left the last church before I came here. And I still do some things. And in fact, we're trying to work on a little mission strip. Not a little one, but a mission strip there for next year. I'm not sure how successful we're going to be yet. We're, I'm working on that. But anyway, after my last trip back from Russia, you need to understand a little bit about the culture of Russia. The men, first of all, the life expectancy for the male is like 52, which is amazing, isn't it? Alcoholism is rampant. I'm not so sure that if I lived there and I didn't have a relationship with God, I'd probably be an alcoholic too because there's not much to live for. Even, post, uh, even post-communist days, it's a very dark and, 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 and very difficult culture. And uh, the men are, are, I mean, if you think your husband's a slob, you need to go to Russia. Because, I mean, literally, the, the men just, they're just slugs. That's a generalization. I realize that. And, but when I, the first thing I, I did when I got there, we had uh, our interpreters, a, a female, and we got to know several young, young ladies, and they all told us, in the group that I was with, because they were with Young Life Crowd and so forth, and, uh, and a few young guys, and they all said, you know, the men here, there's just no male leadership. And, um, and I started, the more I traveled and, and got to know and we got away from Moscow and got out into the, some of the other parts, I began to see what the, the men would just all day sit around the town square and talk. The women work, cook, raise the kids. They do the whole deal, you know. So I told Charlene, I said, you know what, I want to move to Russia. She said, why? I said, because in one easy step, I am the greatest husband on the face of the earth, just like that. She didn't go for that, but I thought it was kind of a good idea. Um, that was a nice shortcut, you know. So anyway, having said that, that's a shortcut. What's a shortcut? What's a formula that I can follow to becoming a, the person God wants me to be, becoming spiritual? First shortcut that I'm going to give you is this, is the let's be goody two-shoes formula. Couldn't think of a better way to say that. I think it probably explains everything right there. It's being what I would, it's, this is not a word you'll find in your dictionary, but it's being Christian-y. Okay? It's being Christian-y. Um, you breathe ease easier because you've done all the right things, you think, in your mind. Uh, it's very externals-oriented. I've talked a lot about this, if you've come here very regularly at all, and, and 
if you haven't picked up any CD on your way, back, on your way out out there, and you'll probably hear me talk about it because I do mention it quite often. That's because I've seen it, I've seen it really poison this thing of following Christ, this whole thing of rules and, and, and standards. You've got to do this, you've got to do this, you can't do this, and you can't do this. Um, it's, it's the let's be goody two-shoes formula. It's external. The problem, the problem is it's external, it's performance, and there's no heart. Now, there's a positive side to that as well, and I listed a few words there for you. Um, you know what? You do learn discipline. Those who come from this background, they do learn discipline. They learn to, in a sense, at least externally, deny selfishness. So there's a positive side to that, and I'm not going to say there's not. But for the most part, it's always external. And there's no heart. There's no love. There's no, I want to serve God just because I love Him. I want to live for God because I love Him, not just because it's, i got to do it. You know? Think about that. I always say this, and it's, it's, I, it's the best illustration. I don't always say it, but I say it frequently. I always equate it, though, so many times to the husband-wife relationship. Do you want your husband faithful or your wife faithful because he or she has to be or because they just love you so much they want to be? You say, well, given the choice between the two, I would rather just because they love me. Um, given the choice between that and messing around, rather than just not do, you know, absolutely, it's better to, to do what's right, even if your heart's not in it. That's not the point I'm talking about, though. What I'm talking about is that whole fact of we live for God because we love God. Not, not out of fear, not out of obligation, or anything else. Goody two-shoes for me. So many people think, I do this, I do this, I do this, check that off, and I don't do this and don't do this. I'm there, baby. I'm there. You may not be there. You may not be there if your heart's not there. And there are many, many examples of that in Scripture. We won't go into that now, but you understand the point, I hope. Let me give you the second formula, because I want to keep moving with this. This is the let's get more knowledge formula. I pretty much, a lot of my background comes from one of these first two. The second one is one that I really, is the kind of school that I went to for study for the ministry. Um, it's where I was as a minister for a number of years. Just do Bible studies. Bible studies, Bible studies, Bible studies. And there's nothing wrong with Bible studies. What happens, your goal becomes knowing more of the Bible. And then it's not enough to know more. Then you want to know what the original Greek says and what the original Hebrew say, says. And those are also good disciplines to have. I'm grateful for the three years of Greek that I had. And it, is, it has helped me in my study. And, and, I, and, I'm, and, and so in a different way, I'm thankful for those years that I spent where I thought knowledge is king. Knowledge is everything. If I get the knowledge down, I become more spiritual. I'm grateful for that because to this day... I've gotten a little lazy in the last few years because of the computer programs that I have and so forth. But to this day, I, I still have a lot of recall for chapter and verse and things like that because of those years. And that's a good advantage. It's good to know what the Bible says. But the danger comes in when we think knowledge is king. Knowledge is everything. I need to, I need to go to church to learn more. The, the, the value of the church service is determined whether I learned something I hadn't heard before. Well, you know, after a while... That's kind, of a, that's kind of a tough road to hoe, especially for the pastor. I've got to teach him something that I haven't taught him before. I kind of like that old, and I've told the story before, I'll tell it again. I kind of like that old story of the old country preacher who preached the same sermon. He came to a church, preached the sermon, boom, they loved it, that was great. Came back the next Sunday, preached the same sermon, boom, they loved it, that was great. 
He did like five Sundays in a row. Finally, one of the head people came to him and said, what's the deal, man? It's the same sermon. He says, you get that one down, I'll get a new one. You know, and, and, and that's, I kind of like that. I'm not going to do that. But I, I mean, in a sense, it's not just knowledge, it's a matter of learning. And it's a matter of living out what we know. So sometimes we think, I learn, I learn, I learn, I'm going to do more Bible studies, more Bible studies. But you know what? There's a, there's a downside to that. Let me give you the dangers to that. The negatives. Knowledge can lead to arrogance. I've seen people who call themselves and who, for all I know, very well are devout followers of Christ beat up people and use the Bible as a weapon, which it was never meant to do, and to condemn and to judge and to do God knows what, destroy people in the name of Bible knowledge. Positive side of that, you do learn the Bible, and that's good, and that's a good thing to do. But hopefully, we're not going to use that as a formula. No more Bible, become more what God wants you to be. You do, need to, you do need to read your Bible. You do need to try to understand what's here. Don't get hung up on some of the stuff. Don't get hung up on whether this is, you know, superlapsarianism or some other kind of hypostatic union or just throwing out some theological terms. Don't get hung up on some of those things. What matters is living it out. What matters is Jesus said the most important thing, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. That's the second formula. Third formula. The let's feel good formula. Getting your emotions and reasoning abilities wrapped up and sometimes the reasoning gets lost. This leads to a very dangerous thing. And I want to be careful how I say this because it's not always abuse. Sometimes it's legitimate. It leads to, and I want to talk about this. This leads to a thing called, what I call, the God led me thinking. Now, I'll make it very clear. I do believe God leads people. He's led me. I believe he's led you at different times, whether you knew it or whether you didn't know it. But what happens so many times with this, with this shortcut of this God led me thing, or this, this feel good, is, is this feel God thing, is we see this particularly in those kinds of churches where, where uh, and, and those kinds of theologians, not just churches, but among people who, who put a strong emphasis upon the emotions and who, who really want to, when they worship, they really want to feel something. And that's not necessarily bad. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But I want to talk about the abuse. What happens sometimes is, and, and maybe you've been in those circles sometimes where people will say something like, you know, well, God led me to do this. Sometimes you hear it put this way, God told me to do this or to do that. And we've got to be careful with this. I, I, I'll speak from my own personal experience. Excuse me. Um, and that is, have I ever felt like God told me to do something? Probably, I could count them on one hand, the number of times when I really felt like God told me to do something. A couple of those times it was really real. But I remember one time, not too many years ago, just not long before I came here, two and a half years ago, where I really felt like God spoke to me about something. Thank God I didn't advertise it, I didn't take out any advertisements or anything, but I really felt like God told me, you're going to do this. Now, I even planned some of my, some of my life around that. And then when that particular thing didn't happen through no control of mine, I question, I said, okay, God, I, I'm sure that I heard you say, not in an audible voice, 
but I'm sure that I heard you say, this is what I'm supposed to do, and now I can't do this. I, I want to, but be circumstances, I can't do it. I won't be allowed to do this. What's the deal? Who did I hear from? Had I heard from God and somebody just screwed up God's plan? Or did I misunderstand what God had told me? I don't know. I still don't know. So when somebody says God told them to do something, could they possibly, be having heard, could they possibly have heard from God in their conscience? Maybe. Could it be something they really wanted to do or, or were inclined to do and they just sort of attributed it to God? Maybe. Could, could, could it have just have been the pizza they had the night before? Maybe. We don't have all the answers to that. And, and nor am I going, and I'm very careful about that. And, and, you'll, and again, I, I don't think I'm just talking about semantics here. But I'm very careful. You, you probably won't hear me say, God told me to do this, or God told me. There's, there's, a whole, there's a whole thing there that I want to avoid. Now, maybe you're comfortable saying that. That's between you and God. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, because I don't know. I don't know. Who am I to say that? I can only speak for myself. I know I've been wrong at least once or twice, and I'm going to be very cautious before I ever again say, God told me to do this. Unless I can go to a chapter and verse where the Bible says, God tells me to love others. I can tell you God tells me to love others because the Bible says that. So this whole thing of this whole feel-good formula, we've got to be careful with it. How do you argue with somebody who says, God led me to do this? I'm like, okay, you know, what can you say? I said, well, God didn't lead me to go along with you. It's a tough issue, you know, and it's one we've got to really think through. And sometimes thinking isn't one of the priorities in those kind of issues. So there's a, there's a positive effect, though. And let's just show that real quick. Positive effect is these people are in touch with their emotions. And we're not to ignore our emotions. Their emotions are part of who we are. So I don't want to just totally trash this whole thinking and say it's all wrong. It's not a formula. But there are some value, there is some value to the whole, the whole deal in terms of, of, of praying and, and seeking God in that particular way. So that's another formula. All right, last one. Now I want to hit very quickly. Some of, you, some of you know this. Good gracious. What happens to the time? Um, the let's get formal formula. And I, I, you probably know what that is. That's, I'm not here trying to be offensive to the liturgical folks and saying liturgy or, or formality is wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But it's not about environment. And we can find God in an opera house in 1890, built in 1892, just as much as we can in a cathedral built in whatever the Cathedral of Notre Dame was built in. Okay? It's not about a place. It's not about a particular, you know, we all have, you know, liturgy. You say, are you against liturgy? Well, you could argue that we have a liturgy here. We have a certain way we do things. And, and in some senses, I guess you could call that a liturgy. So that's not, I'm not saying that that's, that that's wrong or whatever. But, but that whole formality that we come, into, we come into God's presence when we do this sort of thing, you know, we've got to be careful with that stuff. We've got to be careful with that stuff. We're, we're real careful. And the value of that, the positive effect is that you do, learn, you do learn a reverence for God, and that's a good thing. It really is a good thing. None of these things are formulas for being what God wants me to be. I'm going to give you three thoughts very quickly. And, uh, and just go through them very simply, because we don't have a lot of time now, but I, wanna, I want you to see them. Three keys for thinking through and formalizing our faith. Thinking through these. The first, the first key is this. And by the way, this is, not, this is not a formula. These are just thoughts. You can't, you can't accomplish these today when you leave here. They're just things to think about. 
Number one, the key to God-like virtue is living like God is watching. Just think through that. Live like God is watching. Let me show you a verse or several verses. I won't read them all, but I'll have them up here for you. God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back, I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. God's with us everywhere he goes. I look behind me, you're there. Then up ahead and you're there too. You want to live in a way that pleases God? Just think through that fact. Wherever you are, God is there. By the way, that might limit some of the places you may think about going. I really do. I had a friend thought about this. He had a, that sounds silly, I know, but it wasn't silly for him. He had a problem with topless bars. So how do you talk to a guy about why he shouldn't go to a topless bar? I mean, there's lots of issues, and I'm sure a lot of you probably came up with some. Now, I just said this thing to him. I said, what do you think, about, what do you think God thinks about that? And he looked at me, and I said, God doesn't leave you when you go in there. He's like, oh. Yeah, it does make you think, doesn't it? Some of the places you go, shouldn't go possibly. Second key is a key to God-like living is how you live 24-7. It's how you live 24-7. Pascal said this, you've heard this before, I love this quote. The strength of a man's virtue should not be measured by his special exertions, but by his habitual acts. His habitual acts. That's who you are. That's your virtue. Romans puts it this way, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you'll please God and other people will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. That's how we're to live. There are no formulas, no creeds, no, no practices that if followed somehow magically you do these things, you're going to be a holy spiritual person. It's just time. It's just time with God. And the last thing. Third key. And this is, this is it right here. The key to God is still personal and still private. It's still personal and it's still private. I want to read these verses very carefully and I want to, I want to close after this. It's 1 Kings chapter 19 and it comes from Elijah's life after he's been pretty depressed for a long period of time. And he comes to God and he talks to God. And, and this is God talking to him finally in chapter 19 of First Kings, verse 11. Go out, God says, and stand before me on that mountain, the Lord told him. And Elijah stood there and the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. One Bible says, a still, small voice. And that was God. That's why you hear, you hear me refer to that if you come here regularly all the time. That still, small voice. That was God. Francis Schaeffer said this, The inward area is the first place of loss for true Christian life, of true spirituality. And the outward sinful act is the result. The inward area is the first place of loss. It's a process, folks. It's a continual process that God just keeps working in our hearts and in our lives. 
to make us becoming, as we become more of what he wants us to be. That's spirituality. I wish there were a formula. There's not. It's a relationship with God. Let's pray and just ask God to work with us in this. And then we're going to have a song. I want you to hear the words to this. Let's pray right now. God, we are grateful for the, uh, uh, the thoughts that we can think through on these things. Lord, we're thankful that you gave us Jesus to come to earth and live and suffer and die and go to the tomb and then, and then be raised again on the third day. That we, for us, for me, for each person here, and that we can have life eternally and abundantly and, and, and fulfilled living through you. God, we thank you that you don't just put a set of rules on us or some sort of set of formula. We do this or we do that and we do this. We're thankful for that. We're thankful, God, that you, you literally tell us over and over again that if we're lost, you can look and, and you will be fine time after time. You'll be fine. You, you'll, you'll be found. That if we fall, you'll catch us and you'll be waiting Time after time, you'll be waiting. We're thankful for that. We thank you for Jesus and the relationship we can have with you through him. In Jesus' name, amen.